Thanks for listening to the show. Join us online at playvolutionhq.com and learn how to support the show at explorationsearlylearning.com slash support. Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that early childhood nerd podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. This is Heather Burnt, and um, I've got Liz Cohen joining today as co-host. Hi, Liz. Hello. And her cat. No word yet on whether the cat will participate in the conversation. She has strong opinions, too. But <laughs> she's getting in the picture. Um, okay, so Liz, tell people what you want them to know about you. Um, I'm and then really... we'll guess whether it's true. <laughs> oh. We know. should do two truths and a lie with co-hosts. Are we starting now? Because I can do two truths and a lie. No, go ahead. You do your thing. (laughs) Um, I'm a primary caregiver at Old Firehouse School now. Woohoo! I just moved, and I've been an ECE for seven years. After and I just finished doing family child care. Uh huh. So, what does what does primary caregiver mean? I mean, I know what it means in my context, but what does it mean as a job title? Um, so I loop with the kids, so I'm starting oh. with them at three and I'll be with them until they go to kindergarten. Oh, cool. Then... Um, I love that they're doing that with older kids. I mean, people, yeah. not everyone, but a lot of people have been doing that with infants and toddlers for a while. But I know when I was a center director, I was trying to move things in the direction of having primary care and con- continuity with the mm-hmm. older ones too, because why don't they deserve as good as what the little ones are getting? Uh, okay, well, that's cool. So the quote that we're going to talk about is from a book called Social and Emotional Development, Connecting Science and Practice in Early Childhood Settings. I didn't write down the author, but you could Google the title and I bet the author shows up. Um, So I got this book two years ago at the Indiana AEYC conference and was all excited about it because I feel like social and emotional development is overlooked and neglected um, a lot of times in early childhood. But as I think back, I gave the book away and this quote's the only thing I remember. (laughs) So it must not have filled the the void I thought it was going to fill. But um, I've been waiting since then for someone to say, yes, I feel strongly about that quote too. Um, And Liz did that. So um, let me get the the quote and, um, and then we'll jump in. So the quote, the full quote is, um, she had been taught that this kind of music and movement activity was good for children, although she didn't really know why. She was, quote, doing early childhood, unquote, as she'd been taught, but she didn't know the reasons behind her own developmentally appropriate practice. And I didn't write down what the music and movement activity was, but I don't know that that's terribly vital to the conversation. I, th- what really struck me was just the idea of doing early childhood as you've been taught, um, as if doing early childhood was something special, but why did this? So when I sent this, when I sent this out to my co-host email group, um, and sent several quotes, Liz, I think your reaction was, I'm going to be reflecting so hard on that one, whether we recorded about it or not. (laughs) So you won the lottery for this quote. Why, why did this one hit you? 
Um, so the first part was I'm still in school and I'm learning some things in some of my classes that are just going so counter to research and counter oh. to things that are related but not in the exact same bit of academics so that the person teaching this class just does not care. Ah. Um, strongly held personal beliefs. So like, <laughs> literacy teacher told me that I should be putting corporate logos in my block area to build literacy skills. Um, and I said that. That you should be. Yes, because Ooh. it teaches me to recognize symbols, which I understand. Sure. Lot. I'm not promoting McDonald's to my kids. Sorry. <laughs> right. They don't, they don't need our help recognizing that McDonald's <laughs> symbol. So do you have, um, I mean, besides that, do you have some examples? And if you don't, that's fine. Cause I know I'm putting you on the spot of things that you're hearing in your classes or reading in your coursework that are counter to what we know is true or what we know is best practice or. Um, so it's hard because I'm doing a major that was, that's kind of an edited elementary ed major. Yes. I so. hate that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Um, you know that feeling. Yes. So a lot of, I think the class that I had the most trouble with that was, like, I, I feel for the elementary ed kids, too, was a lot of the guidance uh-huh. curriculum. Because yeah. I think of it Campbell specific yet, but it was yeah. just. That was, that was one of my big frustrations, both as a student and, you know, I just finished my undergraduate about a year ago. So I'd been in the field for a long time before I started taking the classes and stuff. Um, was so both as, as a student and as a practitioner and then as a director, um, that lack of focus on helping children with their behavior, because that's the biggest part of the job sometimes once you're on the, you know, really in the real world. And I remember even the class I took that was supposed to be dedicated to helping children with behavior was very superficial. It, it, it wasn't really about social and emotional development and how that affects behavior. Um, when I run the world and, and Tiffany have our college, which you can come teach at, um, there's going to be a bigger focus and there's going to be a whole separate practicum that's just for social emotional development and guidance stuff that's going to be really closely supervised. <laughs> so here's my thing. I am actually starting to, so I've had my, we, we've had a guidance versus discipline conversation. Ah. I'm starting to move away from guidance again because uh-huh. I feel like guidance takes on the connotation of I'm guiding you to outwardly display these behaviors. Right. I yeah. I think it's all just a game of euphemisms. Um, and I say guidance now, but I really would rather just talk about social and emotional development because I think that's much more accurate. And, um, you know, the reason I got this, the book that this quote came from, um, I'm a strong believer that the words we use affect our actions and our, you know, our thought processes. So if we can change the words we use to talk about discipline or guidance or whatever, then that's a start to change our collective thinking, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Um, There's a word for that. I just can't ever remember uh, for that idea, but it's, it's tricky. We, that's, I think that's one of the biggest places. So when I read this quote, um, to go back to the quote for a minute, (laughs) when I read it, um, I really 
thought about, I've been thinking a lot about childcare culture um, and things that I did as a teacher when I was a classroom teacher, a younger classroom teacher, things that I've seen um, other folks doing. And now as a classroom teacher, again, I'm seeing again that are not rooted in best practice uh, are counter to what we know about child development, but persist in every childcare setting that I really am in. It's, you know, there's a language that's specific to the culture. There's, I, you know, ideas and philosophies. And, and I think I see that more in, in helping kids with behavior stuff than in other areas where we just fall into catchphrases and, um, don't stop and think about our expectations or what we really know about child development. And we just get into these habits of thought and talk that drive me bonkers sometimes. Yeah, I think that doing early childhood, as you've been taught, definitely, yeah. is that. So it's it's accepting without filtering, right? It's ah. just, oh, this is a phrase that my mentor used and... I guess it worked. The behavior stopped in six months, so that couldn't have been maturation. That was definitely <laughs> what was happening. <laughs> don't don't give me that maturation bullshit. It was my catchphrases that really changed this child, right? And my threats of you know sadness. All <laughs> <laughs> the emotional manipulation. Don't. Oh boy, that could be a whole different thing. So so I kind of said before we were actually recording <clears throat> that I felt like this quote could go two different ways. We could talk about people who are doing good things for children because that's what they've been taught early childhood should look like, but can't articulate why or the people who are doing things that are counter to what we know is good and right and best practice. Um, because, wonder, because that's yeah. just what they've been taught. What? I wonder which one of those is more harmful to the field. Do we want oh. practitioners doing good things, but being totally unable to back it up to people who don't know why they're doing those good things? Mm-hmm. Or people who are doing, like, not bad, bad things, but, you know, neutral things that just aren't best practice. Yeah. But can kind of pull some weak reasons. Mm. Well, so, so of course, my knee-jerk reaction to that is, well, the people who are doing good things but unable to articulate aren't that harmful. So, but I, but I think, children, but harmful to the appearance of the profession as a whole. I yeah, think going from. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm inclined to agree with you, but it just kind of, I think there could be some versions of arguments made either way. Yeah, I think so. In that case, with the people who are doing what's right, and I'll put it in quotes in my mind and for the listeners, but you know, we know it's right. <laughs> we know it's just a, a an absolute. <laughs> Um, but can't articulate why are not going to be able to adapt and be flexible and follow the child as effectively. Right. So, so they're still sort of vulnerable mm-hmm. to those, the same kind of risks for falling into uh, bad practice as the other side of the coin would be. Hmm. It's so frustrating to me. I mean, when when I looked at this quote, I wasn't necessarily thinking about um, uh, teacher prep kind of stuff, the early classroom, early childhood coursework or whatever. Um, but it's it's frustrating to me that 
the coursework that I see people in the field taking right now and the stuff that I took, um, I probably should be careful about what I say since I'm waiting for approval on a scholarship for my master's <laughs> early childhood. I should maybe be more supportive of post-secondary. <laughs> anyway, it's it's really like 15 years behind. If yeah. what I what what I see from just trying to stay current myself and reading new recommendations and and really focusing on child development more than uh, doing early childhood, if that makes sense. Um, and I don't know how we get out of that. I don't know how we bring it out. Yeah, I mean, solve I only the problem. We're actually in the field teaching early childhood courses, but. I mean, we do have some of those, certainly, mm-hmm. but a lot of people who, for whom, you know, work experience might trump academic work and, uh-huh. you know, again, it, you go to Heather and Tiffany College, so. <laughs> I forgot what we were going to call it. Oh, we, I. We had a name. Those names. Yeah. <laughs> we had a name for the school. Um, so doing early childhood as they've been taught, they're. I, so I'm in a, I'm in a, a childcare center now, working as a classroom teacher again for the first time in a long time. I had very little orientation, like formal orientation and in terms of, and I get it because I've been in the field for a hundred years. So the people who hired me were like, oh, you'll be fine. You don't need as much as a new teacher might. And I get that, but I also didn't get any, um, this is our specific philosophy. This is, this is why we do what we do here. And 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 if I was a brand new person, just going into a classroom and just copying what I saw, mm-hmm. um, it would be hard to come back out again then, I think, and be presented with new ideas or different ways of thinking. Like, that's already so entrenched and it's so traditional in our field for people to have that classroom experience before they take the coursework or before they go get the degree. That that's a concern to me too when we're talking about doing early childhood as we've been taught. Sometimes we've been taught by watching bad teachers, <laughs> or or you know teachers who also have never been presented with other ways of thinking and doing, um, right? Which I think is scary. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So, what? Hmm. Let's let's talk for a little bit maybe about what doing early childhood looks like um so what comes to mind for you when you think about the first image you conjured for me was traditional circle time like the Uh very traditional we are going to sit down for half an hour and i am going to impart all of this wisdom on you (laughs) and make me feel like i've earned my title as teacher right doing early childhood as you've been taught yeah definitely circle time falls into that um the idea that everybody has to do the same thing at the same time, even outside of circle time. Like if it's on the lesson plan form, that's the only thing that matters educationally speaking. And, and we have to do it all at the same time. Yes. Uh, Sensory materials. Sensory materials. Okay. So that has Uh been this massive buzzword in the, I've noticed in the last couple of years, Uh longer. Yeah. And I feel like, so there's a lot of good to be gathered from playing with lots of different materials, lots of different times, lots yeah. of different substances, and I'm wholeheartedly in support of multisensory experience. <laughs> okay. You're but, safe now. Go on. 
I, I know who's listening to this. <laughs> um, there is such a freaking buzzword around sensory and multisensory, and a lot of his marketing stuff, which is a separate issue. Right. But there's so much, like, it's it's October, you don't need orange goo in the sensory tub. Yeah. Like, well, I think... I, I was looking at the sensory bottles that uh-huh. are on the um, science shelf in the classroom that I'm in. And it's the, we, we, they're probably in every early childhood classroom at this point. I remember finding a book 20 years ago that introduced me to the idea and thinking, what a revolutionary idea. But now they're everywhere. And I know that they're there because accreditation was coming through and we needed to have those and paths to quality. You know, the rating system was coming through. Um, But I don't ever see kids interact with them except maybe to pound them on the shelf, like take them out and just pound them up and down on top of the shelf. And I was looking at those sensory bottles the other day thinking, is there a more boring toy experience, whatever you want to call it, than a sensory bottle? (laughs) Those always ended up in my dramatic play area because they're bottles. Oh, sure. Yes, I guess you're right. That's the other way I see them used is, you know, people taking drinks out of the sensory yeah. bottle full of glued shut fruit loops or whatever it is. Um, right. but I, but it checks things off the checklist. We can say that we're doing early childhood because sensory is an important thing. And I, I a hundred percent agree that it's an important thing, but, um, uh, but, but if we really stop and look at it, so filter it, I mean, you talked a minute ago about accepting without filtering. If we really stop and do some filtering, there's only so far a kid's going to go thinking it's interesting to shake a bottle that makes an in- a, a sound when you shake it. Can I make a controversial comparison? Please. There are apps that do that. That's the thing. <laughs> oh, like, that's literally doing as much as a passive iPad app. You touch the thing and it moves and it makes a sound. <laughs> and all of our complaints about passive activities. Right, exactly. Uh, so we say that, you know, we want to be play-based or whatever and we gotta we understand the importance of sensory so we put these bottles in there but then we're like nope leave those in the science area nope that doesn't go in your mouth nope don't bang that that's too loud right can't that's that's not that may be doing early childhood as we've been taught but it's not what the child development recommendation for best practice whatever we want to use is talking about when it talks about the value of sensory experiences right Especially when we limit them with, that's too loud, stop it. Oh my gosh, no kidding. I, now, you know, full disclosure, I have said to a child, my head hurts and I can't handle that noise today. <laughs> but it's rare and it's only when my head really hurts and I really can't handle that noise today. Um. Oh, I was going to say something else about sensory stuff. Like, There's a little girl in the, the group that I'm working with now who is driven to sensory experience. She cannot stay out of the sink and she's not just playing in the water. She's got her face in there and it's running over her face and she's sucking it off her fingers and she's rubbing soap clear up to her shoulder very methodically. And you can tell that she's into it. Um, If she has a marker or chalk, it's going on her hands or her face and it's very slow again. And she's just feeling it. Like she doesn't even go look in the mirror when she's drawn on her face. She's just enjoying that sensory. Yeah. 
um, she was, you know, given the opportunity to do a paint project the other day, which was really just a cookie cutter print and do your three prints and move on. Um, and she was destroyed emotionally because she couldn't keep playing with the paint. And in an observation I did, the teacher was, okay, you're finished now. Go play. It's very clearly not, not finished. Not. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I just like, I look at her, you know, it's annoying when she plays in the sink because water is everywhere and her clothes are soaked. But, um, if she sees you coming mm-hmm. and she thinks you're going to stop her instead of running away, she just like gets as much in as she can. And she starts furiously <laughs> splashing and watching you. <laughs> I think there's so much more going on in her brain in that moment when she's rubbing that soap up to her shoulders or letting the water run over her face in the sink than any splashing in the, in the water table is going to do or um uh any three print paint project is going to meet for her um so there's for me that's an example of doing early childhood you know we're painting we're playing with water but we're not able to say the value because if we could if we could say here's the value of her playing in that water table we would not freak out so much about the sink stuff, or we would find other ways for her to really get deep into that sensory play that she so clearly needs. Oh, absolutely. I wish I could get a video of her scrambling to get one more chalk mark on her face because she sees you coming. It's the greatest. (laughs) Um, Oh, buzzwords. I wanted to get back to that too. I think that's a big piece of doing early childhood is we get into those buzzwords. This is STEM. This is STEAM. STEM is one of my biggest issues. And yeah, Tiffany and I just talked about that a couple weeks ago. Um, I got a new book called Baby Steps to STEM, um, which is supposed to be infant toddler Mm -hmm. STEM activities. And when I look at the activities, they are really sort of playful. It's still a setup it's still meeting someone else's need for the word stem but the the narrative part the the introduction to the activities was all like we've got to get them ready for the future how can we do that unless we grind stem into their brains i had a you don't um, even know what the future is going to be <laughs> how do you know what's getting them ready for it have you seen those board books that are like physics, Newtonian physics for babies? Oh, and Jesus. Like... No. Oh, sorry, everybody. <laughs> so I keep getting tagged in these on Facebook by very yeah. well Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and from what I've heard, I've not actually been able to hold a copy in my hands. Uh-huh. It starts off. Because it burns. <laughs> you have to drop them. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> I've tried to hold a copy, but it burns. <laughs> I'm sorry. Continue. <laughs> um, so the the first time I saw someone post that, I said, you know, that's interesting. They could also learn that with a ball and a high chair or like <laughs> a right? floor. Right. But no, that's misbehavior when they're dropping things from a high chair. Right. When they want to repeat it and we pick it up seven times and they drop it an eighth time. Mm-hmm. Then they've got to learn something else. No. If you really want STEM, it's there. And, and piece, the giving them the accurate language is so interesting to me because I believe very strongly in giving children accurate language when they can handle. <gasps> oh my but god! I, yes, right. You know, if like if you have the understanding that things fall towards the earth, 
feel like we're eventually going to learn the word gravity. Like, right. if I'm saying it and you are thoroughly opposed to it, I'm not going to make, know that it's gravity. Right, <laughs> right. Well, and so, so when I do, like, when I teach knitting classes, because I teach knitting classes, um, one of the things that people say a lot when they come to, a, like, a beginning class is, I tried to watch a YouTube video or I tried to look at a book and it wasn't helpful at all. Um, but once they've seen it and practiced it and done it a little bit with me, then they can go and watch those videos and look at those books and it makes more sense. And I always say that's because before you didn't have a mental shelf to put that information on, but once they've seen it and had some time to practice, that shelf is there and then the information has a place to go. Um, and I think it's the same thing with what you're talking about with gravity. Well, yeah, we can use the word gravity. But it's an abstract concept, and we know that kids this age are not ready all the time for abstract concepts till, what, 7 or 10 or something like that, really? Yeah. But if they have that experience, and Mm -hmm. we hook that word on after they've started to have some of that experience, then that's much more effective than, um, today we're going to read a book about gravity. Can you say gravity? (laughs) Yes. Oh my, God. my favorite example of this was I had a group years ago that loved anatomy. And so I had a bunch of these really, these old books with these fantastic full color photos and x-rays and all this great stuff. But they always wanted me to read the books. I usually simplify it, but there's one uh-huh. that was, bone marrow makes blood cells. <laughs> it does, but you guys don't care about that. But I was right. reading one because I wanted the whole thing. And I think it was just a stall tactic to get more time to look at the pictures. Uh huh. But I had a young toddler at the time who was very verbal. Bone marrow makes blood cells. Bone marrow makes blood cells. My two-year-old's ready for med school. This is, yep. Exactly. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. They start repeating those words and we attribute knowledge that isn't really constructed yet. Right. Exactly. And that's, I, that, I think that fits perfectly into this idea of doing early childhood. We talk about modeling a rich vocabulary and using a rich vocabulary, but that's, that's just in how we're talking. That's like in our self-talk or our broadcasting of what they're doing and, um, but it's not drilling new words into them or I, I also have, it's a real pet peeve for me that we attribute superior knowledge to the people with the language skills first to repeat those words. Oh, absolutely. Because there are kids who have much deeper cognitive development, but maybe don't have that. I see every day that maybe don't have the words that that little very verbal kid has already, you know, and I'm yeah. a mom of two kids who had a lot of pretty early verbal skills <laughs> so you know there's a part of me that's like no let's hang on to that glory of the early verbal but no I know I know what it is it's it's one area that is a little bit ahead of the other areas um, but my favorite is actually with the, the toddler group is the kids who are really advanced socially but everyone sees it as manipulation oh yeah such such a keen grasp of what makes other people do things uh-huh Oh, the kid's such a brat. No, that kid is really smart. Right. It's it's cause and effect that they've figured out, which is which is a good thing. Um, any kind of, I I question any kind of negative attribution like that to development because to me that says you don't really understand what's going on with development. That's very much, um, the culture of childcare, but also just our culture that we don't trust children. We don't give them credit for being competent. We we see them as challenges to our authority Definitely. rather than just seeing that there's magic unfolding in front of us. 
<laughs> as they develop and grow. Sometimes it is hard to see the magic unfolding. Oh, sometimes. 100%. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I agree with that. But I think that's where we rise up as professionals and get on top of that instead of like, oh, this kid. I just don't want to pretend that I'm some sort of, you know, magical practitioner who doesn't also have buttons. to. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So so let's confess our buttons a little bit here so we can be real to the listeners. (laughs) Because mine is and I hate to say this. Bossy little girls. Oh, yeah. But but I know that that's a skill I want them to have eventually, that ability to assert themselves. But my God, I've got a little girl right now who mm-hmm. wants to jump in and be teacher. And I always have an, um, a negative, like, oh, my God, just shut up reaction. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think, so, yeah, that's definitely, that doesn't mean that we're terrible people. It's what we do after that reaction that sets well, us aside as professionals. Yeah, I, I, I have trouble with the the I want tantrums when it's something like, uh, you know, I've said no for perfectly like logical. Like I, I, I would say this to this under different circumstances. This uh-huh. is what I can't say yes to, uh-huh. but I can give you a hundred percent of it and I are on the floor and I need to collect myself as the adult. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I you that you're not ready for these reasons right now. Your, your prefrontal cortex is gone. You are entirely. Yeah. Amygdala. And all yeah. I can do is show you right now. Yeah. <laughs> There's a there's a little boy in one of the other classes where I'm working who sucks his thumb. He's two, but he still sucks his thumb, and I don't care. Um, but clearly, what's being modeled by other adults is that that's a problem. So one of the little two-year-olds who's in my group will follow him around on the playground and pull his thumb out of his mouth and tell him no. <laughs> oh. And I, I know he's just doing what he has seen, but there's a moment in my brain that I'm like how dare you (laughs) yeah and I find myself saying ridiculous things like you just take care of you and I'll I'll take care of this over here (laughs) she's two yeah (laughs) it's nothing to her to tell her to take care of herself the the what the thing that actually drew me so in the classroom I did not Mm -hmm. have knowledge of respectful caregiving Uh and I I saw so I, I started off infant toddler Mm-hmm. I saw a kid sniff the air and start pulling the backs of people's hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, maybe this is not a thing I should be modeling, but it's yeah. just. Well, thing. and I, that's another doing early childhood as you, or during early childhood as you've been taught. We, we assembly line through diapers yeah. and we walk around smelling and looking in kids pants and making big announcements to the group that someone stinks. We would not stand for that as adults. If we were sitting in a room waiting for our staff meeting to start and our boss walked in and started smelling all our armpits to see who stunk. Oh, yeah. we would be outraged. Absolutely. But it's I a mean, perfectly acceptable aspect of early childhood. What? Right. Even close friends. If someone's farting in your car, you don't draw attention to it. Like, you're fully aware of what's happening right now. But... Oh, my God. Unless you're in my break room when I was the center director. At a center that she'll be nameless. But they're listening and they know who they are. <laughs> oh, sorry, folks. I know you tune in for a more highbrow kind of entertainment than that. Sorry, Heather doesn't have me on very often. No. <laughs> um, I introduced, this is totally off topic, but, well, on current topic, but off quote topic. 
I introduced the book Everyone Poops in the classroom this week. Mm-hmm. Um, there are teachers who've never heard of it and are amazed that I would bring it in. Um, yeah. But, oh, my God, to read that with a group of two-year-olds who've never seen that book before. Oh, it was yeah. pretty amazing. <laughs> pretty amazing. It's like poop's a big part of their world. Absolutely. I, I got to get on that level. <laughs> Uh, sorry. Um, but okay. So let's talk about, uh, those sort of routine care kinds of aspects of doing early childhood. We talked about diapers, checking diapers, diapers, Uh, everyone down at once for meals and don't get up. Yeah. Yeah. So why we do that? Because what we were raised that way. I wasn't, but I still fall into that sometimes. So Um, I struggle with that. Yeah. Because on one hand, Yay, community building. On the other hand, if someone's an unwilling participant, is it really community building? Yeah, right. But if we never... Well, so this is just the counter argument further down that line. If we never introduce the idea of staying with the community. Right. Is it a problem? I don't know that that goes to that exact level, though. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's... There are other ways to save the community that are not just sitting at the table for, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever we decide is a meal. Right. And what's happening at that table while we think we're building community? Like, are we really just having social mealtime conversation? Or are we grilling about food groups and colors and manners? Right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And when you are having those real conversations, kids will stay at the table. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic conversation with my kids the other day about are we sitting in a circle? The table's a circle, but our bodies aren't really a circle. <laughs> uh, there are five points and it's not round. Like three of the kids were done eating, but they just kept reasoning it out because we weren't sure if we were sitting in a circle or not. Yeah. Yeah. Um I my little table at lunchtime has been having the same almost verbatim conversation about the fire drill we had a month ago. Every day. And as long as that conversation's going, they're fine. But as soon as they're checked out of the conversation, then they're up. You're right. But they're two. You know, that's a little bit different than older older kids. But I was just having a conversation again with somebody this week about circle time and group time and staying sitting. And should they be required mm-hmm. to stay sitting with the group? And community is always the idea that comes up. But has, has community become a buzzword then? Are we... Ooh, are you, the rise of the Reggio buzzword community has definitely... <laughs> The rise of the Reggio buzzword community. That's beautiful. I, I, I mean, it's it's in there though. Yeah, and yeah. With good intentions, with great intentions. Right. I, I mean, I read everything that comes out. There's so much good in the actual Reggio approach, and then there's the way American centers do Reggio as they've been taught. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, sorry, I was writing. Rise of the Reggio buzzword community, so I would remember it. I'm going to steal it from you. Oh. Um, uh, no, I'll cite you. I'll totally cite you. <laughs> um, yeah, well, everyone who's listening has probably heard me preaching about the Americanization of Reggio before, so I don't know that we need to go down that road. But um, uh, we're back to buzzwords again, and I think that's such a big part of doing early childhood is what's the trend? What's the buzzword? What are people marketing right now? 
what's the hot topic at this year's conference um, without necessarily thinking about what does it really mean? Is it really that important? Should I really be changing anything? Or is it going to just roll down the road and I can continue <laughs> doing things my way? So, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Um, I mean, speaking of community, I think so much of it is how people want to identify, though. Like, if you go to conferences, there are little splinter groups of the academic preschools that will mm-hmm. only go stay within their bubble, and the play-based people who only stay within their bubble, uh-huh. um, and the workshops that say they're play-based but are not play-based. Oh. Yeah, 20 minutes in. Um. <laughs> yeah. I Oh, I walked out of a lot of them last April. Yeah. Um, ugh, that whole claiming to be play-based but not really understanding it. Maybe that's part of doing early childhood as we've been taught now too, is just following the trends and play-based seems to be a trend right now. And I think the good side of that is those of us who are advocating for true play-based, playful learning um, settings and experiences, we're being heard and we have enough, I don't know if power is the right word, uh, to be trying to so that other people are trying to fit and trying to 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 hitch on to what we're doing but they're accepting without filtering to steal another one of your phrases um or just making what they're already doing fit yes so they're just articulating differently maybe to get back to to the quote and how we articulate what's behind what we're doing um they're just using different language to describe Mm -hmm. what they're they haven't changed, if that makes sense. But to go back to what you said at the very beginning, is using that different language to reframe changing what they're doing. Oh. Like, changing your stated goals, even if it's the same activity, doesn't that actually kind of move it in the right direction, at least? I mean, it. this is for a hypothetical mm-hmm. activity that we yeah. have named. It's hard to... Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think that's definitely, in my mind... Hmm, maybe. Okay, let me let me think about this for a minute. I was about to say, in my mind, that's definitely a step in the right direction because there's some reflecting going on. There's some um, assimilation and accommodation kind of thinking right. going on. Um, but maybe I wouldn't be that 100%. Maybe I'm 78% thinking that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I think I would need a concrete example, but I, I feel like moving it in, honestly, I think that's actually kind of how I started moving towards a more open-ended play base. I mm-hmm. think putting, just having that perspective on the things I'm already doing and saying, well, of course I'm already doing these things, and then gradually accepting for myself that, no, that's not really what they're talking about, and yeah. moving in that direction. Yeah, I guess I can get behind that, too, because I was just thinking um, the... I recorded an episode a couple weeks ago with David Kahn, who's in the UK, um, doing like pop-up play adventures and stuff around in his neighborhood and um, advocating for play. And we talked a lot about um, uh, our own evolution, I guess, from theme-based to play-based. And I kind of did the same thing. I Now that you say that, I... Um, was talking about being play-based and really believing that children learn best through play. But in my practice, what that looked like was I was doing learning games and, and, and very shallow play. Like it wasn't child led 
mm-hmm. child chosen, self directed kind of play. Um, it was, let's sit down and play this game that I invented to still meet the goal of my academic thinking. Um, so yeah, I think you're right about that. It was, it was definitely a step on my path to getting to where I am now. Stop being right. (laughs) I mean, I used your words to be right. So I think we both get credit for that one. Is that, is that how it works? Yeah. I'll take, I'll take that. I'll split that with you. Um, um, okay, so if we have somebody who's listening that's like, oh, that's kind of the trajectory I'm on too, and or oh, yeah, I don't really stop and filter what I do or reflect about what I do, aside from just a general recommendation to start reflecting, what might you say to that person who's who's like, oh, I wanna I wanna continue on my path towards being able to articulate what's behind my practice? want that person to start looking at what their actual like throwing the foundation out the window what their actual goals for children are mm-hmm. like even getting rid of school ready life ready which i can't remember if i'm borrowing that from but yeah for life rather than ready for school and what sort of people do you want these people to, to do you want to encourage these people to help these people grow into uh-huh you know that's yeah i i definitely think if we again, change the words we use. And if we start talking about people instead of children or young children or kids or students, um, we start talking about people and thinking about what kind of people do I want to be part of growing or developing or growing alongside of even. Um, uh, That I think can make a big difference. Mm -hmm. Um, just, Just in changing that language. And I think... Um, maybe sometimes even saying out loud, this is my goal for this practice or just start looking at your daily schedule, pick one thing and say, why do I do this? Why do I really do this? Is it because it's on the schedule that I was given when I started this job? Is it because that's what I remember about my own childhood? Is it because I'm afraid someone will challenge me if I don't? Right. Or is it really because this is what I think kids need from me right now? These people need from me right now. Which is hard and can be scary. Yes. To start really challenging yourself like that. Hmm. Uh, any last thoughts about this quote? Do you mean early <laughs> Stop doing early childhood and start early childhood. Yeah, take be some kind of little cute little buzzword. For right, this. take the quotes <laughs> off of that doing early childhood as she's been taught. I think maybe that's another language change. Let's stop talking about early childhood education and start just talking about child development or yes. human development or something like that. But that's probably too big of a too big of a thing to tackle. Uh, okay, well, I think uh, we got a good lot out of that quote. <laughs> it's, yes. it's time for the awkward wrap-up that we discussed before the recording began. Um, so thanks, Liz, for joining me for this topic. I, like I said, I've been waiting a long time for someone to want to talk about this one with me. And, Thank uh, you. It's really fun, and I hadn't seen it before, so I'm excited that I awesome. got it. Awesome. Yay. Um, I Actually, I gave the book away before I wrote down the quote for anything and I was trying to think of it for some other reason and I couldn't find, I I thought it was in a whole other book. So I was like, 
going through this book page by page trying to find this quote because I knew I wanted to do something with it and Mm -hmm. finally thought to Google it. And there it was in a different book that I'd given away. So (laughs) it's been a long journey to this episode. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and, and so now we're done with it. Okay. Thanks again, Liz. (laughs) Thanks everyone for listening. Um, you know, you guys, you can always just, as soon as I start winding down, skip to the end of the episode. You don't have to listen to the awkward wrap up, but <laughs> maybe, maybe it's my shtick now. Maybe that's why people listen. Um, okay. So thanks again for listening. We'll see you guys on another episode of that early childhood. And that's the show. Now go get your nerd on. has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh. Hey, we need your support to keep the podcasts flowing. Go to explorationsearlylearning.com slash support to learn how. One of the big things you can do is shop Amazon with the link we provide. You buy your cat food, you buy your kids' books, you buy whatever it is you buy on Amazon, you pay the regular price. We get a small percentage of it. Everybody wins. A lot of people are doing it. It really supports the shows, and we really appreciate it. Give it a try. Thanks.